Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. You'll open your Bibles. We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 15, verses 10 through 21. Again, that's Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 10. Then Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons. One day the younger son came to his father and he said, Father, don't you think it's time you gave me my share of your estate? So the father went ahead and distributed the inheritance between the two sons. Shortly thereafter, the younger son packed up all of his belongings and he traveled off to see the world. He traveled to a far-off land where he soon wasted everything he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. At that time, there was a severe famine in the land, and so with everything spent and with nothing left, the son soon became hungry. And so he went to a local farmer, and he begged that farmer to hire him. The farmer hired him, and he sent him out to feed his pigs. There was no one who would feed the son anything, and soon he became so famished that he was willing to eat the slop he'd been given to the pigs. Humiliated, the son finally came to his senses. He realized what he was doing, and he thought to himself, you know, in my father's home, there are lots of workers who have plenty to eat. They have so much to eat with uh, with much left over. They lack absolutely nothing. So what am I doing here, dying of hunger, feeding these pigs, and eating their slop? I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father. And when I do, I'll say, Father, I was wrong. I sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the young son set off for home. From a far distance away, the father saw his son coming. And when he saw his son dressed as a beggar, great compassion swelled within his heart for the son who was returning home. The father raced out to meet the son. He swept the son up in his arms. He hugged him dearly and he kissed him over and over with tender love. Then the son said to his father, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Please, Father, just let me be. But the father interrupted the son and said, My dear son, you're home now. Amen. Thank you, Candace. You can be seated this morning. Whew. Can I say we came out to sing this morning? Someone feel that? Amen. More. <laughs> yeah. Get them off and bring the team back up. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel the same way. Don't worry. Hey, uh, if we have not met yet, I'd love to fix that. My name is Zane Witcher. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I just want to affirm you. Thank you for being here this week. I also want to put a bug in your ear about next week being here. Uh, next week, there's a lot of different things going on. Uh, you will notice that uh, Valentine's weekend is coming up. What's up? Okay, put that on the calendar. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday is coming up. Uh, But next week here at church, uh, we're actually going to be inviting a guest, a friend, a mentor, uh, who's going to be working with us as staff and elders. 
his name is Rick Atchley, and he's also going to come, and he's going to be preaching on Sunday. So trust me, you will not want to miss next Sunday. So if you think like, okay, maybe I need to get ready for a Super Bowl party. Maybe I need to go out of town. No, 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 no. You need to be here because it's going to be great. Okay. That's what I want to leave you with. Uh, when I came here uh, a couple months ago, I was told stories and rumors about an event to watch out for. This event that Ranrock calls it is called Missions Benefit Dinner. And I was told at this event that you better buckle up for it because it's an experience like none other. Like, there's no combat, there's no training that will get you ready for the party of all parties. Okay, so when I showed up to this event, I was not ready for how much like sweater flaunting and how much pancakes could be consumed and how much like the music could be like right at you like this entire time for this event. I'd heard stories, but you got to experience it just to know it. But what I didn't know was that there was going to be such a great little small nugget of a story of a moment within the moment of our church. Now, one of the families that came to Mission Benefit Dinner this past year was the Harder family, and they actually brought uh, Antoinette's mom with them. Now, her mother was very reluctant to come to Mission's Benefit Dinner, and Antoinette not going to it before as well. She said, you know, this event, like, it's really casual. It's going to be laid back. There's not going to be, you know, a ton that's going on there. Uh, and so her mom came with her to find the party of all parties. I, I would argue it's like the most hopped up on syrup we are, like, in a moment together. And as you can imagine, uh, English is not her first language, so she's seeing all the jokes and all the traditions, and all the music, it's just coming at her. And you can tell she's just absolutely overwhelmed by this. And right before she considers, I shouldn't have come to this, one of the members of our church sits down next to her, finds out she speaks Spanish, and starts speaking Spanish back to her. And in Antoinette's words, it was a moment where home opened up a little bit for her and her mom. Later, I love the moment she looked at her mom at the end of the night, you know, everyone's clapping and celebrating and singing and yeah, yeah, yeah. And she looks at her mom and she goes, Mom, this is my home. And her mom looks back at her and she goes, Yes, yes, you have found your home. When's the last time you've looked in someone's eyes and seen the reality that they know that they're home? When's the last time you felt like you were home? The leadership of this church got together a couple years ago and they asked the question, what are we doing really well that we want to make sure we keep doing? And when they observed this church, one of the things that was come up with that this church has a heart for is for people coming home. And when we use the phrase come home, we mean it in two different ways. One is the way that Antoinette describes it. It's that feeling of you belong here and is your church home. But the second is for this place to be a place where people can come home to God. Now, if you've ever walked past the massive wall in the foyer, you have seen this language before. We want to be a reason for someone to come home. 
We are a church that has a heart for home because we know that God's heart beats for those who are far away from home. And today we're going to unpack what that truly means. Now, Jesus is going to give a story. He's going to give a story in Luke 15. If you've ever heard the language like kill the fatted calf or prodigal, you've heard this story. Those are the same words built off of this story. But when Jesus wants to tell you about God, he makes sure to say that there are two kinds of people. There are two ways to miss home. And usually, you are one of those two people based off of how you treat your home. The first son is an example of how you treat the home. It's an outlandish statement to go to a parent and ask for the inheritance already. A couple years ago, my uh, family and I were sitting down, and I'm an only child, if you haven't been able to tell that yet, and it's pretty obvious at days. Um, that shouldn't have been that funny, but okay. <laughs> um, I'm an only child, so we sat down and we had that conversation that, I mean, many of you have already walked through this stage of life where they let, you know, Zane, at some point we're going to pass and you're the person that's responsible for taking care of our affairs once we're over and here's how I want you to do it. I want you to make sure you take care of this piece and that piece and give it to And then at the end, my mother, who I would argue is spiritually blessed with uh, bluntness, okay, uh, my mother looks at me and she goes, and once you've done all that, the rest of it's yours. But when I get old, if you make me angry, if you put me in a home that I do not want to be in, if you say something that irritates me, boy, don't you question it. I will make it to where you open that will one day and you'll find I left it all to the cat. <laughs> and you'll just be taking care of a cat the rest of your life, even once I'm gone. Many of us would respond to a request of the Father very much like, I will leave it with the rest of the cat. Isn't it fascinating that when Jesus wants to tell you about the heart of God, he does not react in a humanly way like most of us would. He doesn't say, I'll give it to the cat. Instead, he, in his love, he will let you draw your own conclusions and sometimes let you draw your own destruction in life. That this is the type of love that the Father has. The Father does not rebuke. He does not manipulate. He doesn't coerce. The Father allows us to put distance for the hope of desire to be created within this distance. This is the way that God works love into the relationship with you and me. I remember I was saying with coffee with someone who wasn't a believer at the time and they were processing and trying to unpack the love of God and they kind of asked one of those questions that you're like, oh, I really wish you wouldn't have asked me that on the spot, but now I have to answer it. And I remember they were like, hey, here's the real deal, okay? I've heard Christians talk about the love of God. I've, I've heard it, okay? I, I know the songs. Jesus loves me, this I know. I know the reckless love of God, I get it. He, oh, how he loves me. I know all the hits, okay? 
I want to know what does the love of God mean for me right now, even though I'm not sure about God. I would like that coffee to be over right now at that moment because I'd like a couple hours to think on that, but I didn't have that. And here's the best, here's the best shot that I took in the moment. Here's what the love of God is displayed between the younger son and the father. God's grace, God's love for you, means that God can hold the tension. That God can hold the tension between where God wishes that you were and where you actually are. That in Jesus Christ, God can handle the tension between what you could be doing and what you are actually doing. That God can handle the tension between the ideal and what is real. I guess what I'm trying to say this morning is, no matter what your motives are, God's first motive is for you to come home. And God will take any reason for that. Jesus doesn't just say it, He shows it to you. So let me show it to you in the text. As He tells the story, lean really close to this one, because this is not how we operate. In verse 14, after this is the younger son. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine, which in first service, that translates to severe salmon, okay, because I was very hungry, and someone's going to tell you about it, so I'm just going to beat you to the punch, okay? All right. There was a severe famine in the whole country, and get this, he began to be in need. Do not miss the punchiness of this story. The younger son does not come back because he has a spiritual renewal. The younger son does not come back because he's got a version Bible plan that he's ready to roll out. No, no, no. The younger son comes back because he is hungry, he is in need, and he has nowhere else to go. And this God that Jesus describes is one that no matter the reason, you can come home. And when I think about my faith, the thing that I always feel like when I get distance between God, I think I got to prove it to God. I think I have to get something out there. I have to show God that I'm back in this. And there is no speech. There's nothing that you have to bring to the table. This God provides you the table. Here's maybe another way to think about it with love. There was a thinker by the name of William Vanstone that came up with this idea, and you already know this idea. He called it the phenomenology of love. And here's the Spartanotes version of this. He said, when it comes to love, almost all forms of love are tainted. That when it comes to love in the world, most love is complex, And honestly, it has mixed motives. You know this. You know this when someone is genuinely, authentically loving you and when someone needs your love for something. What he would argue is he would say that most of the love that you experienced growing up and even experiencing now was always a mixed love type of motive. That usually the people we love We love them because we also need something back from them. You and I, the air, the water that we take in is that of love. So naturally, 
you will love those who reciprocate love back to you. You will love someone because they will meet your needs. And the good news of God that is in Jesus Christ is that God has no mixed motives for His love in the world. God does not play by the game of the phenomenology of love. Whether you are meeting the needs of people around you or the needs of God, God still invites you into His love, period. What makes God's love safe to you is that God doesn't necessarily need something from you as much as God wants something for you in your life. That's what the love of God propels us towards. What's this God want? This God wants what he displays the younger son and the older son to experience, to come home. God wants you to experience the home of heaven. Have you ever considered how Jesus would have been a terrible interior decorator? No, I'm, ser I'm serious. Like, have you considered it? Like, I, this is what I think about on Tuesdays. Like, Chip and Joanne Gaines would have fired him so fast. Did you notice as you walk through the Gospels, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven all the time. But he's never describing to you what the interior space of heaven looks like. He's not walking around describing like how the clouds look or what you're going to be sitting on or how many verses you're going to be singing. He doesn't give you any of that imagery. Why? Because when Jesus talks about heaven, he's not talking about it as a place that's pie in the sky, but he's talking about it as a space, as a way of being, as a reality where God is fully there. If you want some imagery for heaven, this story is it. Heaven is an open door to God's extended love. That God is open and is working in our lives now and forever. Heaven is coming home and knowing that you have a home. Heaven is experiencing the full relationship of God's blessings now and forever. It's a life where you don't have to question your purpose all the time. It's a life where you can be confident in what you bring to the table, but also your weaknesses that you don't bring to the table because God works in that. It's a life of drawing the best life possible, and it is a life that you have peace of whose arms you will pass away in one day after your final breath. This is heaven. And if the first son shows us physically what it's like to be away from home, the second son is going to show us what it's like to be relationally far from home. Because did you notice the reaction of the older brother towards the action of the father trying to get them home? Started in verse 28. So when the older brother, this is when the servant explained, hey, here's what's going on. The younger son's back like we're throwing a party. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. 
Why would he be angry about coming back? Here's a thought towards that. If you move your way back up into verse 22, remember the father's reaction. But the father said to his servants, this is when the younger son came home, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. I could take a fatted calf out right now. And let's have a feast and celebrate. Why could the older brother be so angry? What if it's about the excessiveness of how the father accepts the son home? This isn't just the father doing what's necessary. This is the father, he's rolling out the red carpet. He's bringing everything to there. And for those of you who have read this passage plenty of times before, I want to remind you of something. Remember, the younger son has already gotten his inheritance, which means this. Anything more that the father is going to give is now the older son's. You catch that? That for the younger son to come home, it means that the older son is actually going to pay a cost and it will also be inconvenient for the older brother. Why would someone go to such great lengths? Because if you've truly experienced home, you want others to experience the same home that you have. And it's a gut check in that moment for the older brother. And the question is, is does it gut check each of us as well? Uh, we were laughing yesterday, Tim Beckett and Chris Wigginton and I were laughing because uh, it's very dangerous to get close to Zane because if you get close to Zane, you usually either get quoted or you become a sermon illustration at some point. Okay? And if you don't believe that, ask my wife. Okay, We have a lot of conversations about it. Uh, and I'm about to do that very thing right now. They don't even know I'm about to quote them. One of our deacons... Uh, actually, oh, oh, my bad. Okay, you didn't like that. You, you were going to turn the sound off. I understand. Okay, <laughs> Eric must be up there. Eric um, talks about this at one point. Uh, Eric reflected on actually... It does not like me right there. Uh, Eric was actually walking through the process of exploring faith with some people in his family. And he recorded this line that I thought was just so beautiful. I wanted to share it with you today. Because this is what gets at how to be a reason for someone to come home. Here's the quote. To mature believers, please, please, please do not forget that you have a running partner. You are not at the finish line awaiting others. Make sure that you take time to glance back and offer assurance and acknowledgement. Keep them in your line of sight because remember that sometimes we're just a few curves ahead because we had an earlier start. I love the language of keep them in your line of sight. All of us are moving in a path of understanding what home looks like with God. But we can't forget as we journey on that home that there are others that are processing or asking questions that maybe you've already walked through or explored. And we have to make sure that we're keeping them in our line of sight. If we've said this, if we've ever said communication body-wise is like 80%, like 80% of communication is all body, then we should constantly be asking ourselves for our individual bodies 
and also our body collectively, what is our posture towards people who are looking for home? Today, I want to provide you with three examples of how we as a body can make sure that we are being people that are being a reason to come home, okay? And this is going to be very practical, very easy. Well, not very easy. That was too hard to sell. But this will be a way for us to do this. Now, I'm actually, if you're tracking me right now, this is actually some thoughts from Rebecca McLaughlin. I think she has a beautiful way of breaking this down really simply. So these are the three that she would suggest that I would also endorse to say, this is a beautiful way for us to do it. Here's how. Number one, a lone person in a gathering is an emergency. I don't know about you, but when I come to church on Sunday, I'm usually in two modes of operation. I'm either one thinking, okay, I got to find a seat somewhere. I got to find a seat somewhere. And then two, I'm always wondering who's the person that I need to connect with right now. What if we walked in and the first question we were asking is not, is today going to connect with me? But who am I going to connect with that I haven't? A really good gut question is if you're just walking in the foyer and you don't know someone's name, that's a really easy just prompting of like, oh man, I should just walk up, at least say hi to that person. Number two, friends can wait. And this is a big one for me. I'm always guilty of doing this. Is that usually my mode of operation when I walk in is I want to connect with people I haven't connected with. What if when we came to church and we gathered together, you didn't just see this as a connection point. but You saw this as the place like where you connect with other people who may be exploring God. And then number three. Always introduce yourself to someone to introduce some. Oh, gosh, this fast, man. I mean, it's taking me down. Always introduce yourself to someone who is with someone you know. That was a mouthful. I should have edited that. But here we go. Imagine if you've ever brought someone to church before, you know the anxiety when you bring someone through the door and you're like, okay. I hope everything is normal today. I hope Zane doesn't say anything weird. I hope no one prays any weird things, like just be normal. Like imagine if we all shared that weight with each other. That people knew in this congregation, you could bring your friends, you could bring your family member, you could bring your neighbor here, and you could guarantee that they are going to get talked to by a different person. This is the easiest way for us to do it. It's just if you see someone that you don't know, that is with someone you do know, make sure you introduce yourself. All these are three very clear ways of how we can keep people in our line of sight. To be a place where people can experience this being their church home, but also we can help people who maybe aren't sure if they're at home with God or not. It takes us having to have a line of sight for them. So I want to close with this thought today. When it comes to the father running, there's a note that I'd like to just share with you historically. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, why the father runs uh, towards the son. And, you know, a lot of people talk about, like, it's a story of, like, the father's very excited. He's rushing to get back. And that is all true. But also, what you should know is from a historical standpoint, in some Jewish customs and traditions, if a son ever shamed a father, 
left home and then tried to come back, one of the implications would be that he would be banished. And the way that this would happen is the elders of the community as a whole would rush towards whatever son or daughter was coming back into the community that brought shame, and they would bring a pot with them, and they would just smash it right in front of the son or the daughter. It was a physical act of displaying legally and emotionally what was happening. It was a way of saying, you were once a part of us, and now you are no longer able to be a part of us. And one of the reasons that the father may be running is he's running to prevent the one thing that he needs the most to be able to experience renewal and to come home is that he's trying to rush and make sure and prevent that there's any obstacles that are in the way. My question to you today is, do you feel a sense of urgency for those who may not know that they have a church home? Are your concerns when you come here the same concerns as the concerns of God of coming home? You know, I'll tell you, I do, I do wrestle. Like, I spent 10 years in ministry to young adults right before I came and served at this church. And basically, I spent 10 years of my life sitting in front of young adults who left churches exactly like ours to come to college and then I watched them as they processed and wrestled with and either claimed the faith that we handed to them or they walked away from it. And I think what keeps me up at night sometimes is I'm really nervous that the reason that the younger siblings don't always come home is because of us as the older siblings. Like sometimes I really am concerned that we have majored in the minor things that we have disregarded the questions that people are asking about God and aren't asking about God. We had attitudes like, you know, if you are really serious about science, then you can't be really serious about Christianity. Or we described God as being like this God who gives good gifts to the world, but then we ignored gifting just, just because of preference. Sometimes I get really concerned, like we taught them to love the words of Scripture, words that were like, love the least of these, walk humbly, seek justice. And then when injustice happened to the least of these, we said, that's not our problem. Sometimes I'm concerned that we contribute to the broken pots that people feel towards home. And hear me closely. We worship the one who brought grace and truth, and we need to claim the one who brought truth. We need to hold on to Jesus, but I am just wondering, are we holding on to things other than Jesus that may be obstacles for someone to come home? This is the soul work that each of us has to do. Because I pray that we are people that are not shattering more jars, but we're people that are picking up the shrapnel and that we are making clear ways, not obstacles, for people to come home. Because it matters. We concern ourselves with what God's concerned about. Which that's with everyone coming home. Let me pray for us, and then uh, one of our elders will bless us today.
uh, God, I, I feel a deep sense of just gratitude and thankfulness that you have made this place a place and a people that care about people coming home to you. God, I, I thank you for the stories that have already happened here. I thank you for the different ways that each of our people are pouring into people knowing that they have a home here. God, for those of us who really wrestle with older brother syndrome, God, can you pour your love into us again? God, can you keep the experience of what we felt, of coming home, of knowing that you love us, that you have heaven for us in the future and now, can you keep that in front of us so that we can see those who are in front of us looking for home? Spirit, may you continue to work the gifts of our, uh, our congregation and our people uh, to help people come home. We pray all this in the one who even showed us what home looks like, and that's Jesus. Amen.